Hi everybody, it's uh, Tony Park. Um, this is my new little podcast on business tribes. And it's about business tribes turbocharging your circle of influence for profit. For those who, who don't know me, I'm, I'm from Tasmania. That's that little island down the bottom of Australia. And I've been in business for, for some 45 years. Um, I've, I've lived here for the, the 63 years of my life and I've, and I've almost all that, that time I've been working for myself. And there's four core culture, four core things that, that I've been able to use over those 45 years. And the first one is really important. That's that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The second one, if it is to be, it's up to me. The third one is you, you cannot predict the future, but you can create it. And the last one, it's, it isn't about hope selling, it's about creation selling. And those four, four quotes are from, some, you know, people have used them for many, many years, and there's some fan, fantastic people, some past presidents of the US, some major people, major scientists, major business people have used those core attributes to be able to change their lives, but also to change their communities around them. And to me, that's really important of what business is about. It's not just about making money. It's just not about even helping individuals. It's about trying to encourage changes in, in our communities. So that's the core issues. And, and what this, this first podcast is about is to be able to get that overview of, of where I've come from, what I've been able to, 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 to achieve, but also how I've helped people along that journey and how I can help continue to help people on other journeys all around the world. So it's interesting that, you know, if I go back some, oh, I'm 63 now, so it's 55 years ago when I walked into a, a little hole in Glenorchy, which was the area which I grew up in, in uh, Hobart in, in Tasmania, and came to my first Cub Scout pack. And I can still remember that, that uh, being so scared of other people being, you know, suddenly um, put into this group of, of, of boys who I didn't know and I was going to spend some time in. Little did I know that over the next 35 years that, that I, I'd continue to be able to grow as an individual, both as, as, a, um, as a boy within Cubs and, and flows to scouts and venturers and rovers and then um, be, become a leader. Um, and, and in turn, me helping Cubs and me helping Venturers and me helping a, a range of people to be able to grow into leaders in, in our communities. And I found that um, even though I had some great success, um, won many awards as uh, Baden Powell Award and, and other things, it was that working together with a, with a, a bunch of blokes, a bunch of, of boys and later on with girls to be able to grow together and to get those experiences to, to make some things happen. And as we go through our later podcasts and later um, video blogs, I'll be able to, to, to expand on this a, a lot more on the concept of the tribes where you go from that little tribe of, of a Cub Scout, a little tribe of a, um, uh, a, a Scout or a Venture as, as you go and, and you move into these little tribes and these little groups and, and make those changes into yourself and, and others as you roll along. And that's where the whole concept of tribes came from. 
that's, that has started from there as we roll through. Second group that I was involved with is uh, rural youth. So after I went through all this, all this process and started off and uh, worked with my dad in our, our first business, um, I grew up in the country. So I moved into the country and rural youth and that was the thing and certainly in Australia um, at, at a time it's um, being being on a farm was a way that um, a, a lot of people made a, a lot of money. So I had this, this stupid idea at the time of uh, being a, what, what we call a cocky, you know, you go on a farm and you, and, and you look to be able to grow a business that way. So one way was to go on to rural youth. So I think in the States you have 4-H where I think it's young young people come together and learn some skills about farming. This was um, sort of 18 to 25, so it was a bit bit older, um, and was a way that people got to some of those experiences, some of those experiences in the that rural life. Um, but again, um, they were they were clubs, so they were they were tribes in themselves. So there was this tribal thing that the club I was in 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 Hobart is. City-based. Then there was other clubs that were more rural race, more more experienced, and we could learn from each other. And there's a whole bunch of stories and some really funny stories on on some of the crazy things which we used to used to be able to do. But um, have we learned from each other as well? Young Liberals was a, a, another group which uh, which I learned, and that was a, a political group. And right now, when we're, we're doing this podcast, there's some challenges happening happening all around the world, and it's and it's just funny how you can just see that tribal feeling again, and and it's not so much about policy; um, it's about your tribe, and and you and you somehow your your tribe's lost or your tribe's gained, and you, and those pressures in, in between um, within the tribes and, and and where it is, and that's certainly within in those groups you can start to to see that how people bond together and make some things happening. A major organisation I was really involved with was Junior Chamber International. In, in some places in the States, it was called um, JCs. Here in Australia, it was as well, but then it's changed its name back in the 90s to Junior Chamber International to show those roots which came from the Chambers of Commerce. And some, some major people um, were involved in that organisation around the world. And great story I get was from uh, ex-President John F. Kennedy from the States, and, and they say that when, when he died, that uh, um, in his, his, I think it's his library that they have set up. That they, it's his desk on the day that that he died, and all the papers which are on his desk. And in front of the of his desk are, are two chairs. On the backs of those of those chairs, are the two two organisations that most influenced his life. One was uh, his university, which he went to, and the the second one was JCI. So that's an organisation he felt was so much that influenced his life to be able to uh, encourage him to be um, president. But from his time, the, the, the next eight presidents were all past JCI members. Um, and the influence within the, in the States, where it started in 1915, is just huge. That was able to give people those experience and, and that knowledge to make changes, not just in the States, but all around the world. Um, lots, more, lots more on that later on and some really cool people that, are, that I've um, met along the way, you know, uh, the Prince of Japan, the, the Prince of Thailand, um, Prime Ministers all around the world, um, all JCI members all working together to make that, that, that piece and to work together for, for business and other ideals. 
And one of the strange things when, when I joined JCI was um, at the time I was 33 and you, you age out at 40. And so I knew I had seven years when I first joined. And it was, a, was an opportunity when I joined to, to be able to come together. And there was um, young business people, well, young, 30, sort of 30 up to 40. And, and I thought I was just joining this small group and we could do some really cool things and, and help the community and, and learn together and, and maybe do, do some business later on. But as I grew, because I knew I was only going to be there six, seven years, it goes back to some of these core, core issues that it's, if it is to be, it's up to me. So uh, my goal at that time was to be the local chapter president. If I could do, do that in my seven years and help my local community, I thought I was doing some really cool things. However, seven years later, I was world vice president. What happened over that time is that my, as my experience grew and, and I, I met more and more people, I found they were just like me. I met more and more people and uh, together we, we were able to make changes, not just within my local community or my state or even my own country. I was able to help a lot of people all around the world. And as you grow and as your business and more knowledge happens as, as you go through life, your, your, your vision and your goals change. And your activity and, and your mindset needs to change to be able to suit that as, as you roll through. And that's what I found with JCs. Um, that again, met, met so many princes and prime ministers of the world to, and to be able to then help countries like um, Bangladesh, uh, Thailand, um, some of these countries that, that were that at the time were really poor um, and were able to give them their, their knowledge, but also work with great countries like, like the US and, the, and Europe and, or UK especially in, uh, in, in Europe and um, Korea, many, many friends in, in Korea that were able to make those changes and make those positive things. So more on that later. But um, but that sort of flowed then to the Chambers of Commerce. And and again, it was the same. I, I joined this local Chamber of Commerce, and that's really cool because you try and come together as, as local business people and, and come together and uh, network, old-fashioned net networking. Um, and you, you think that you're doing some really cool things. But then there's opportunities to make some changes. And I was the first person from Tasmania to be a, a director of the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry that's brought everybody together and I was the first uh, chairman of the Chamber Alliance which was to bring um, all the state chambers of commerce together um, right across Australia and then moved on and uh, I was a vice president for the Asia Pacific Chambers of Commerce and Industry and that was 27 countries across the Asia Pacific area and that was just so fantastic on how business people in countries um, as diverse as P Papua New Guinea and as went as far as Russia and all through that Asia Pacific area um, with Japanese and Koreans and Philippines and how we could all come together and work work with goals because we're trying to help each other to be able to make a better better business and better business makes better communities. Um, so that was just fantastic and there's only two Australians ever been um, at that, that level on that organisation. So that was pr pretty proud and some, some great stories on how all those countries um, came together and made changes. Lots of government boards I've been part of, uh, the World Heritage Advisory Council. So World Heritage um, is a really big thing in Tasmania especially as, as well as Australia and, and it's a responsibility where um, we've said to the world that we'll, we'll look after this, this cultural heritage um, in Tasmania's case, it's uh, natural heritage as well. 
So the World Heritage Area is actually 40% of the total landmass of the state. So T Tasmania is an island. Um, you think islands are small, but uh, it's an island that's about 350 kilometres by 350 kilometres. Um, so it's a pretty big island, but there's only 500,000 people on it. And um, it's all concentrated in some, some cities. Most of the landmass is just bush. It's just virgin land. It's, it's world heritage. So it's the last temperate rainforest in the world. Um, so there's some parts of that landmass people have never been yet. So it's our responsibility to the world to be able to look look after those areas and to and to to show people um, that just famous, uh, not just natural, but there's some um, Aborigine um, artifacts um, where they lived, where they grew, because that's the oldest continuous um, culture in the in the world. So they came here about forty thousand years ago. Um, so it's a real privilege to be able to help to be able to do that. So lots and lots of stories on that. Skills and Learning Board. Southern Wine Room was an interesting one where wines, wine industry in Tasmania is quite well known because it's a cool temperate um, growing. So one of the things in that um, cocky stage I, I, I went through because I had a small farm was to actually grow a whole range of grapes. We grew a vineyard and I found that at the time in this area, which was quite well known for um, Pinot and Chardonnay grapes and to make sparkling wine. Um, there was all these little little vineyards, but they didn't come together. So we, we, uh, we formed this organisation, the um, Southern Wine Region, um, which I was the first chairman of. So it was a way to be able to bring people together to make this tribe of people to be able to start to do things um, together, to be able to advertise, to market, to, to share ideas and to and to not see ourselves, ourselves as competitors, but to be able to see ourselves working together for the greater good. Many other little organisations like the Australian Institute of Marketing, uh, Institute of Company Directors, Marketing Institute, Property Council, Caravan Industry Australia was, was an interesting one where um, we're always seen as a poor cousins. In the, in the state, it's the RV sector. You, in, the, in the states, and I've got lots of friends with uh, Campgrounds of America, um, and that whole cultural concept of the big motorhome driving around. Well, here in Australia, it's 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 not that. It's more the um, caravan. So we have you know large cars the same, but the caravans on the back. So we actually tow them because um, we actually don't have a lot of places. So Australia is about the same size as the US. You got 350 million people. We got 25 because most of the middle there's nothing. There's just desert. There's no people. Hardly no water. There's just nothing. So the places where people visit are, are sort of just around the edges. So they take their caravan, take it down the beach and have it for a couple of weeks and roll from there. So the culture's a, a bit different, um, but it's also the same. But the largest growing sector in tourism in Australia is the caravan park sector. It's not hotel motels. It's not five-star properties. It's, it's the... Um, the RV sector that where you can have your own, do your own cooking, have your great experiences all around a campfire, people coming together in making tribes in, in different areas. That's the, that's the future of tourism. But at the time um, when we started the caravan industry Australia, we were the poor cousins. No one wanted to know us. So there's some great stories on there, how we grew that, that industry. I was one of the first uh, 
directors of, of the national body and, and made some huge changes down here in Tasmania um, with our, our business at the time. And there's so many things, Hutchins Old Boys, Master Builders, there's so many things, but it's all about organisations and groups as, as we grew and, and went along. And all this grew, this concept of business tribes, this concept of people coming together where everybody wins, not coming together where the leader wins, or not coming together and everyone fighting to actually win, but having this core identity that everybody wins when we come together. And that's just some organisations where I started to learn that and, and, to, and to see how it can be successful. So from that is just to give you an idea on some of the businesses which I grew out of this, because it's not just waffle, it's just not words. I've actually used these concepts to actually build businesses over time. Over $54 million worth of businesses, which I grew with my dad. Some of these I grew with my dad to be able to um, make some real changes in, in our state of Tasmania. So the first one was a logistic company. Now, but going back, you know, I was born in 1957 and my dad started his, his own little business uh, about, 19, about the 1950s where we had a big debt of about, at the time, £2,000, um, which was nearly the um, price of a, of a house in, uh, in Hobart and he borrowed that money and had his truck and, and his little office and, and he started carrying um, product around. So... And he grew that business to be the, the largest transport company in Tasmania. And he, and he grew that based on taking opportunities. When opportunities came up, um, just to, to go out and make it happen. Going back to some of those core principles, you cannot predict the future, but you can create it. So you go out and make it happen. And he made that happen to be the by being innovative, having some really cool ideas on, on the way that you can look at transport in a different way. His, his uncle, um, going back into the 1920s, had horse and carts, and he carted all the beer around to all the different pubs, all the different bars, saloons, and um, and that was his core of his business. So, But that, the business hadn't changed much from, from that time. Where Dad came in with some whole new different ideas on uh, on the way that you could look at the actual vehicle. So you, it's transportation rather than having trucks or having uh, horse and carts. So he... He looked at that in a, in a different way. Um, and we sold that um, as, we, as we moved along. Then we went into selling caravans, so it's retail. So actually um, later on we went into the caravan, um, caravan park sector, but um, before that we actually looked at selling caravans. So we were one of the few actual selling caravans that were made by other people, but we were really innovative on how that, how that we did that and how we – actually change that, that sector in a whole different add-on type products where we could increase the yield on, on the sale. So it wasn't just buying and selling. It was really looking at the, the people on the solution um, solution for them, on their solution for their problem and how we could help them. And we were in, innovative on, on how we were able to do that. So actually we were able to increase the sale, but we didn't have to have any more sales. So we're innovative on that. Um, and that flowed into one of those innovations, which was um, a, a company called Park Homes, where we built manufactured housing. And at the time in Australia, manufactured housing was just starting off, and this would have been back in the uh, mid-80s. Mid, mid um, 
So at the time, they, they saw things which were ha happening in the States, as we do. We, we, um, we, we share ideas all around the world, and, that, uh, and we saw that housing was a, was a major factor um, in Australia, that we needed a, a cheaper, quicker form of housing. But also caravan parks needed something different. If we weren't going down that RV drive yourself type, type product, caravans were getting um, harder, to, harder to tow because cars were getting smaller. We'd gone through that, that oil, oil problems in the late 70s, uh, cars got smaller, so we, we couldn't tow large caravans anymore, but we wanted, wanted something for that holiday shack. So manufactured housing, housing, a house built in a factory, a factory line ticked all those boxes. So again, I was looking at problems of people when coming up with a solution. However, Tasmania, we're an island, so everything was built on the mainland. Um, we got our first cabin over. I think it cost um, about $6,000 from Jayco, and it cost $4,000 to transport it. So we looked at ourselves, we said, you know, we understand that's the future, but we, but we can't do it. We, we don't have a solution for doing it. So what we did, Dad and I, we started building transportable homes. And over that time, I sold that business about five years ago, and and uh, we built over three and a half thousand um, buildings right across Tasmania. Um, for most of that time, we were the only people looking to do that, that manufacturing. But it was a problem. Um, it was a way that we could actually bring together, and that's a whole different story I'll come to later on the caravan parks, because it gave us that core to be able to make those changes for that. For, for that sector by c controlling the inputs, which was the transportable home. And we c came up with a whole new product at the time, which was granny flats. So as our population ages, and Australia's got one of the oldest po populations in the world, so that's a real problem that we, we actually need immigration um, because our population's getting older. We, we don't have a, enough people to actually do things to, you know, clean the sweep, um, sweep, the, sweep the streets or to do the gardening, but also to be the scientists and the doctors and the, and the nurses. We actually don't have enough people. We, we're getting older, so we have to be able to do things a lot differently. Um, so, so this was a, was, was a way to better make that, those changes happen. And at the time, actually imported homes from New Zealand, um, kit homes. So again, we just couldn't get homes fast enough. So this was a way that we could build a conventional home, built on site on a slab um, as a kit. And we actually imported those in from, from New Zealand. Um, no one else has ever done that before in Australia. So again, it's just looking, being innovative um, and, to, and to look to see what challenges are and then coming up with solutions. Other businesses, uh, and it comes back to this, oh, I wanted to be a cocky, I wanted to be this farmer. So we had this little parcel of land. We had about 50 acres. You know, what can you do on 50 acres? So at the time, it was all about vineyards. Vineyards are the thing, and and everyone wants to grow some grow some wine. You sit back on your on your your porch and you drink your wine and in the sunshine and have your little fire going, and it's just just fantastic. So that's what I did. But such hard work. So I put in about 6,000 vines, and uh, it got really good, got into it, and really did did it well. But I, I forgot one core problem, that I needed water. And where I am, it's great for, for growing grapes. You know, the soil's great, had it all tested and, and, and faced the right way and all the, all the things. But we went, then went through some drought. 
and uh, and we had some real issues. We we grew some really fine grapes. We made some really fine wine. We we won quite a few awards um, for our Pinot and Chardonnay and, and for our sparkling in the end. But it just got too too difficult, and I lost the the reason for doing it. And the reason for doing it was sitting on the porch drinking my wine. So it was so much easier when I cut the chainsaw through the six six thousand vines and started buying wine in. Um, so there's a whole story on that and how at times that you've got to make those decisions to make it back to, to, to get an outcome for your life where you want it to be. That it's about making some of those hard decisions to say, okay, as a family, as our family tribe, where do we want to be? You don't keep on running like a, like a, um, a, a mouse on a treadwheel. There's, there's a times when you've got to have, a, have a, a, a review, a look at where do you want to go in your life and because that's really, really important, because you're only here once, and that's where you. So you've got to understand what you need to be able to do, what you need to be able to achieve, what you need to be able to learn to be able to get to where you want to be. And for most people, they don't know where they want to be, and that's that's fine as well, um, because that may change as, as you roll along. Because at one stage, I wanted to be a cocky. That was that was where I wanted to be. Then. It created so many problems in in business and in life that I then had to make a change, and that's fine too, because then it gave me time to reflect on where I really wanted to be as a person, but as a family, because those tribes became more, much more important. I was really involved with franchising, so with Cozy Cabins, um, which was in tourism, what what we did was be able to bring businesses together. So Tasmania is an island that people tend to travel around and we've got a whole bunch more information on, on this whole fan. It's fantastic which which uh, a business sweat that we, we grew, my, my dad and my mum and I. Um, and it started from one caravan park and we, and we did that because the caravan parks here in Tasmania weren't putting in cabins um, and that was the future of caravan parks in the, in, in the, in the country. So it was a way to, to put in manufactured housing, small little manufactured housing. So people would use those instead of motel units because they're all self-contained. You could do your own cooking. You could park next to your car. Um, and it was in locations where people wanted to go. So as an island where you travelled around the island, there was different locations that were, that were hot, if you like. Um, so there was an entry point, which was Hobart, um, and it was a day's, day's drive and activities. So there's five or six different locations around the island that people wanted to wanted to stay. So we encouraged caravan parks in those places to be able to put cabins in. Then we brought them all together under a, under a banner, which at the time was Cozy Cabin. So this was a way that we could market all of these people. And at the time, we actually led the world on the marketing of caravan parks to mainstream tourism. And when I say mainstream tourism, that's the travel agent online booking systems. Because no one else did it at the time, so we were able to market the experience, which was that travel around Tasmania, and to be able to have those those um, locations where people wanted to stay, those five or six locations. And guess what they did? They bought more cabins off us. As they grew their inventory, bought more cabins, we could sell more nights to to agents who could sell it more nights to 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 um, customers, and were able to to look at areas that weren't quite in those hot spots. So we actually grew, uh, at the time we had seven different locations and, and another 13 franchise locations where 
they had our, our product that we were able to sell them in the cabins. They actually had the operation, which was similar to ours. So we had some standards that people were able to um, understand when they came and stayed there. That's what they had. But it was able, we were able to grow all our businesses. So they grew their business. When one guy sold, uh, he sold his business, 80% of his business came from us. So without us, um, he, he would have had some, but he, he was able to sell his business at a, a much higher price than what he, he, he would have done if that system wasn't in place. And we're talking millions of dollars that, that he got out of that. When I sold, we sold our seven locations. That was in about $30 million in today's dollars. Um, we were able to do it because we had that central core. And at the time, we had 5% of the total holiday makers that came to Tasmania I looked after. And when you think about it, that was a lot, a lot of people. It wasn't hotels. It wasn't motels. It wasn't um, all these other more, in inverted commas, traditional type of, of accommodation products. It was cabins in caravan parks. And we were able to be able to um, develop that because we had we had the marketing, we had um, people coming together as a franchise, and we had the uh, inputs, which was the the, um, the cabins. But then I was able to help that with uh, a company called Big Four Holiday Parks, and I was a, a director of that for about 12 years and uh, treasurer for five, and we were able to, to, to grow that organisation from about 80, 80 parks around Australia um, when I joined, about just under 200 when I when I sold all our parks. And, the fan, and that was a different type of franchising. So it was a franchise, um, but it was owned by the members. And the, the core thing about them was that we were all helping each other. So every park was about referring, helping, um, advising. It was just a big, one big happy family where we're all coming together and to try and make our business happen. And when we... Um, looked at who we were, we were helping, we're actually helping families. We're helping people who are families looking to come and stay for holidays, looking to, to travel all around Australia, or just hot spots during um, Christmas and, and Easter periods. So that was a, was a different way of franchising, and we'll, we'll go all, into all these areas much, much deeper, but that, that really gave me some of those understandings of tribes as well, how we came together as a group where everybody won. There was no, um, in, you know, there wasn't an overarching business which we were all trying to help to be able to make profitable. It was about us helping each other to be able to make ourselves profitable. But in turn, we were, we were looking to help those customers coming to stay with us and, 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 our, and our friends to be able to make sure that they had a really good time as well. And that, and that core thing about all that tourism was the cosy cabins where even the, even the name, Tasmania, is, uh, as I said, is a, a temperate rainforest area. It's about the same to temperatures as uh, south of France. So it can be a bit cool in the, in the winter, but, but not cold like in the States. We don't have snow so much at ground level. We may have snow in the hills, but, um, but, the, but as compared to the mainland Australia, they see us as cold. Um, so as a, as a comparison... Uh, having uh, one of the barriers where don't come to Tasmania because it's cold, go to the Gold Coast and be in the sun. So that's where Cozy Cabins came from, was the concept, again, understanding the barrier that people may have 
and then putting up a, a solution for people. And that just that name um, booked a, a whole range of different people. And there's some really cool marketing concepts that anybody can can use of, of what we did with Cozy Cabins, which we'll, we'll, we'll share later on in, in other podcasts and other videos. Um, because you could use that in any business, in any location all around the world. And it's some really fun stuff, which we did. Um, and again, it's being innovative and looking at solutions for problems rather than just saying, we're here, we've got a product, come and buy it. There's a whole range of things on that. And one of, one of, those, um, one of those things was to look at um, those solutions was in the aged care sector. So with the construction business, it was things were starting to slow down a bit. So we said, okay, we, I'd already sold the caravan parks to, to, to somebody else. Um, what, what else can we do to try and make that business up? So one of the things that I, I looked at was to be able to say, again, looked around the world as do different models. And in the States, there's some really good models on uh, retirement living and, the, and that use of manufactured housing for, for that. Same in the UK, there's some really um, interesting models on how people put manufactured housing in, in villages. But here in Australia, we've even got a better model because it's subsidised by the government. So again, it goes back to that, this concept that we've got an aged population and we just don't have enough resources to be able to look after them in that traditional aged care, um, as in, you know, semi-hospitals type thing where you, where you go because uh, you may have dementia or, or a whole... whole of, of problems to be able to make some stuff happen or you just may be old and you and, and you want to be around people again um, you know your, your family's left home your, your local community's changed more young people have come in suddenly you, you don't have any friends around you so that's a real problem for, for older people is because they can't get, get out and about and make make friends as easy as, as they did when they were younger so that changes that that whole community so we, we looked at all of that and uh, came up with this new model that's be now become the model of aged care across Australia where actually people own their home because it's a manufactured building. They actually own the manufactured building, but they rent the land. So it's like having a cabin in a caravan park. It's like having a caravan in a caravan park and you, you, you pay a, a, a daily rent. In this case, it's a, it's a yearly rent. And part of that subsidised by the Australian government because they want people not to go into homes because it costs so much more to be able to, to, to be in a place where you need a higher level of care that you're not necessarily needing right now. So the more that they can keep people out of those high level of care to be able to give them a better lifestyle where they can look after themselves and be around like-minded people, people are going to live longer goes back to the concept of the granny units that we, we, we brought in many years before that, and this whole concept of, of having a place where people are in their tribe, in this case in a family tribe, with a granny unit in a backyard with their family so they can be separate but close. This now was the same type of product, but now in a village where people have come together as a tribe where they're there helping each other, talking with each other, going for walks with each other supporting each other when when family members um, die, supporting each other when um, people get sick and they, they're just fearful of what's going to happen next, creating this tribe, creating this thing where it comes together. 
And it's really important and goes back to one of these core cultural attributes. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we sold out in this in this village really, really quickly because it's all about caring about people. It's not about making money. It's about people being cared about, that their, their future is really important. And as I say, that, that model now is the, the, the major model right, right across Australia um, because it's one that's best for the, for the person. And the last one that I uh, major business area, which was uh, as a business broker. So I had all these experiences, um, buying and selling businesses, building up these businesses and, and um, closing them up or selling them or, or whatever, but it was able to, to, to have an, an understanding of, of what makes businesses tick. And that's where, uh, for a short stink, I was a business broker, brought all those experiences together. Um, but but that was a that was a hassle because it was um, again there's people had this concept of what a business sale should should be, um, and there was no coming together of like minds. The person selling always wanted a higher figure, and they had a, a rosy glow of what the business was all about. Um, the person buying always wanted to buy a, pay a low figure, um, and the frustration was that there was people buying businesses that should not have. They had no idea on what the business was, um, and it was all about hope selling. That they hoped that when they bought the business, that people would still come to them and they'd still be able to buy. They they hoped that they they would have the knowledge to be able to make the business happen. They they just it was all about hope, um, and that was a real frustration which which I had because I couldn't help these people because some of these people who bought businesses just should not have. And I and actually see so many businesses um, around the place that um, struggle because they haven't gone back to those first core fundamentals. And later on, as, as, as this um, podcast and video rolls through um, with other, other ones, we'll go through those core issues that really you need to be able to go through before you buy a business or when you review your business because it's at the end of the day it's all about you you've you've got to be able to understand what life that you want and it's nothing's a quick fix when i go back to some of these organizations before junior chamber international saw itself as tomorrow's leaders today they come to us and we train you on to be a, a leader give you all the school skills and there's all these people who come to us before and they've got all these great stuff and they're better make some things happen and they've gone out and they, they come and join us and they put their hands in their pocket and wait for this great shot of lightning to come and it doesn't come. And they say, well, this is a crazy organisation. It doesn't make me in, into a leader because they're waiting for something to happen rather than going out and making it happen themselves. So business is about that. You've got you to have that understanding of what you need to be able to do, what the problems are of your, of your clients and what solutions you, ha you have for them. But the core issue is that you you need to make that life for yourself. And one of the, the great positives that, that over over this journey I've been able to help people along the way. And some of those are, are large for financial ones. I know I um, my friends at Campgrounds of America. So that was there's a whole story on that relationship between. Um, KOA, the largest franchise in the world for caravan parks. And at the time, number two was the Big Four Holiday Parks. 
and there was a, a relationship, but no one ever done, had done anything with the relationship. So I sat down and I I travelled across to the states, you know, three or four times, five times, you know, you know, over the over the three or four years, and I started to make those friends and make those uh, relationships happen. And we started to share ideas and share how we did things differently. And they actually looked at our concept of cosy cabins and they said, wow, that's a fantastic idea. We, we might pinch that idea and that's great. That's, that's just sharing. That actually spell it different. We C-O-S-Y, cosy. You're C-O-Z-Y because you spell cosy differently. Anyway, um, it's all cosy. But... They're able to put cabins um, in their their locations all around the states, and we worked out that that created about a hundred million dollars in value for that business. So a hundred million dollars in value we created um, for Campgrounds of America, just for sharing some ideas on what other people have done in different places in the world. And that's what coming together as a tribe and sharing and, and understanding, because I got a whole bunch of ideas from them as well, which we'll we'll go through at a, at a different time, but. It's that sharing of ideas and to having that open mind and having an idea of where you're looking to go, you can really turbocharge some, some things. Uh, another friend of mine, um, Ariel, he's, he's just put in a, uh, an education program into different countries in South America. Um, so he, he's used some, some programs with click funnels and to be able to, to, to use some um, programs to, to encourage entrepreneurship in, in some of these countries like Chile and Argentina um, and his, his home home country in Spain. And he was able to, to do this at a really large scale. And when I sit down and, and, and have a coffee with him, um, quite coffee around a, a barbecue because he really likes barbecues, um, he said that the, that the knowledge to be able to present his ideas and put it in, in a way um, was all based on my ideas with both business tribes and how we could c come together and build these tribes in these in these countries how people could learn together to be able to get those experiences and knowledge but also grow together and in time there they become the leaders in those countries and they're the ones that make positive change in the future and that's what the countries that, that business and political um, tribes were actually look, looking to do, looking at a way to be able to make a better future for, for, for their, their communities. And this was all based on those ideas where we sit around and have a coffee to talking over talking over things. So it's, it's learning and, and making things happen. But also it's about being in business where you can make some change. And, and um, I've built a lot of these businesses with my dad. Uh, he retired when he was 65 in uh, 1999, and three weeks later, he got stung by a jack jumper. Now, in Tasmania, jack jumpers are small land, about half an inch, um, and he was the last person to die of that of that sting in uh, in Tasmania. They're only in t Tasmania, parts of Victoria, and some of South Australia, but they they're pretty deadly. So it's it's we've got a lot of things in Australia that can bite you and and sting you and kill you and everything else. But um, but this is one. And what we did and it was it was it was a hard time. Um, but there was a scientist came to see us and said, Tony, we've got this problem. We got this idea first off that um, 
we think that we can come up with a desensitising program for the jack jumper ant, that no one would have to die. And I looked at my mum, and our buddy said, we've got this problem, we just don't have enough funds at the minute. We've got some coming from government, but we've got this gap. So I looked at my mum. So we, we gave them $150,000 to be able to make that change. And it worked. They came up with a desensitising program that people can get injected um, with, um, it's actually the, the poison from the ant. They actually freeze dry them. Imagine a little tiny ant and just freeze dry them and extract the, the, the venom. Um, and they can build up antibodies in people who, who are susceptible to, to those stings. And about 25% of Tasmanians are said to be susceptible to, to the sting of a jack jumper. And, and no one's died since. Now, you can't, I can't bring back my dad, but it gives you such a good feeling that we've, we've been able to use business, we've been able to use the successes that we've been able to do along the way to be able to make a change. So no one has had to have died um, from this thing, from this ant um, since then. So again, it's, it's, it's how we can work as a tribe to be able to make that change in our, our community. Got a bunch of other stories on that, how, how we've been able to help people all around the world to, to better make some change. And that flowed on because I made some changes f for myself. So about about five years ago, um, I went through a rough trot. Um, that actually had issues with my heart, I had issues with kidney stones, I had an issue with a whole range of things, and I nearly died. And it gets back to what I was saying before, that you have to have a a strong feeling of where you want to go in your life, but also that ability to change if you need to. It comes back to those core issues. If it is to be, it's up to me. But also you, it's about caring because you've got to care about yourself. You can't help everybody all the time. It's not about making a bunch of money. Um, it's, it's not about predicting the future, but making it happen. And this is one time when, when I, I had to say, and I was, again went through a, a dark place and I'd let people down, I had to sell everything up. Um, wasn't a good time to sell. Um, so I'd, I'd been to those dark places where you, you shouldn't have to be as a person. Um, and I, I got through it. And one of the ways that I got through it was to say, okay, what in my life has been successful? Because I had been success, you know, I was I was wasn't feeling in a good place at the time of what 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 we were, but there was all these successes where, where we looked at how we'd help businesses, how we'd help people, how we'd helped a range of communities all, all around the world, and that's when I went back to university. Now, first time I went back to university was in 1975. In 1975, I spent a year partying. And that was my year of university. I had had great fun, great parties. That's what you did, and uh, obviously didn't pass. So that wasn't university. wasn't for me. And now it was nine, you know, two thousand and fifteen or so. And I looked at university in a different way. I looked at it as a way that um, I had these knowledge, uh, these experiences, and this knowledge, and it gave myself a tick. Yep. I know that, so, so I did an MBA first off, Master's Business. So I did this Master's and I knew most of the things I could have taught myself, but there's some things that I knew but I'd forgotten. 
And that's interesting on, on knowledge as well, because there's so much knowledge, you know, there's not so much new knowledge out there, but it's just old knowledge in a different way. So, um, but this was a way that I could get some acknowledgement for myself on that knowledge which I had, but also share it with others because there's so many students had they they come to this university with no experience, and I could put it in a way help to help them in a way to be able to put some some experience some some real life into it. Um, and then I did masters of marketing because um, that's what I do, and a whole bunch of um, graduate certificates in in um, commercialization and research and innovation and entrepreneurship. But even right now, I'm doing a Master's of t Tourism and Heritage and actually doing a PhD. And the, the, the PhD is looking at a research question that is looking at the bonds between Tasmanian tourism product and Chinese travel agents and that relationship, that bond between the two and how it's affected by a thing called Guanji. And Guanji is a, a cultural attribute within the Chinese um, community society. Um, it's about person-to-person -person networking, and it's based on um, Confucianism teachings some two and a half thousand years ago. But but basically, it's saying let's make a friend, and we like to do business with our friends. And when we do business with our friends, everybody wins. Um, you've got a problem. What's your problem? We have a solution. That the solution is um, is a fair solution because we're trying to you're, you're a friend we're not trying to rip, rip you off and sell you something that that's one isn't going to work and that's is overpriced and and you want a solution um, that's going to fix your problem because you're going to tell your friends you're going to tell your friends that this person here has got great solutions and you're going to sell so much more product because you you're now selling to friends you're now selling them in a you know um, solutions to their problems at a fair price. And you're actually going to make so much more money. So, so that's basically the whole PhD, and there's just 80,000 words saying, saying that and, and researching that as well. But it's pretty much common sense. In their culture, it's seen as common sense, um, as it is right across the Asia-Pacific area. Um, we've lost it in Australia. We've lost it in, uh, in the States. We've lost it in, in Europe, where we just want to sell stuff. We think business is about selling stuff and getting the best price for it, and aren't we a good business person? We well, sold one thing, but no. You could sell one thing and one make one person happy, and they sell, they tell 10, 10 friends, and then those ten, 10 friends buy off you. You're in a much much better place, and than trying to overprice that person, that one person in the in the first place. So there's a whole bunch range of um, of theories, but also practical help for any business, any organisation. Doesn't have to be business, not for profits, all around the world. I've been able to help them to make those positive change. So later on in 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 other um, uh, podcasts and other videos will we'll, we'll look to be able to share some of those ideas where you can help your community, help your business, help your organisation to make some of those changes where it's really worked. And that flowed on to some of the cool stuff which I did. So one of the first things I did um, was to was to work with uh, Nick Nick Nanton and his and his guys at Celebrity Branding. And and one of the things I did was to write my first book. You say a book. Um, this is a guy that, because that, that was around that two, 2015 time, and that was um, a, a, a book's a, a way to be able to, as, as, as Nick and his team says, is, is a way to be able to get that recognition for some of those things that you've done in your life and to use that, that whole concept of celebrity branding to be able to brand yourself um, with, with someone. 
um, who's, who's done similar. And that was uh, the, the first thing which I did um, was a book called uh, Ignite Your Life, um, which I was able to, to co-author with Brian Tracy. And it was interesting in this, in this process because Brian Tracy, which I knew Brian Tracy, but Brian Tracy in, a, in a Australia is not very well known at all. Um, so in some ways it didn't work so, so well because in Australia um, he wasn't a celebrity. But in the States, um, he is a celebrity. He's one of those, you know, Tony Robbins type, Russell Brunson type of um, celebrities who've got uh, great information on how you can help, help your business, great information on how you, how you can help consumers and, and other people in the in a network. But it gave me that impetus to be able to say, okay, I'll, this is great ideas that, that I need to be able to share with people and need to be able to help them with their business and help them with their communities. So later on, I, then I, I wrote a, another book called Business Tribes. And uh, that was about Business Tribes Turbocharge Your Circle of Influence for Profit. And, and this actually went through um, all those things in business, all those things I've talked about in a, in a lot more um, detail on how I've been able to use those, understand those concepts and to use them in, in different businesses and different organisations over, over that, that time frame, over that 45 years of business. Then my, my, my latest one, which I'm just launching a whole bunch of, uh, of ideas and um, programs on is about alumni tribes. And this is about um, understanding a specific area of tribes because we've all got alumni. And it's not, alumni is not just those people who have gone to university and, and people have gone, you know, the people that you went through university with. Alumni is everybody. We've a group have come together. It could be from your cup pack. It could be from a sporting team. It could be a bunch of, of people that you, you you spend time at a bar with. There's still groups of people that you've you've done something together. You shared experiences, and what that does is build bonds between you. You've got something that nobody else has got, so it creates this feeling that that you're a that that you're a, a thing, a tribe, a group of people that trust each other, that have shared knowledge and shared experiences. And they're the, the groups of people that you can work with in a business sense, in an in organisational sense, in a community sense, to be able to make real change. And it's it's the the power of that tribe is just so unrecognised. And that's in my new book and a whole whole range of, of programs and and courses coming out um, soon. Um, but it's, it's that power, that's what I've learned uh, along that journey, that alumni from that little cub pack, from that little boy going in 55 years ago, walking in and seeing all these all these people coming together. And that fear of going in, but also that, that fantastic feeling over time to be able to have all these people that you can just call on, that you can trust, that, that you've got this special bond with to be able to... Is, is, to be able to work together to make that change in your in your business, in your organisation, in your life, to be able to make that change. Um, and I've even written some peer-reviewed uh, papers. For, for some people, a bit, bit of a yawn, but, but the research is fantastic. And the one paper was on virtual tourism communities, how people come together and, and share their, their knowledge of their, of their experience on a travel trip. So it's like TripAdvisor type whatever but it's it's really understanding the power 
of people coming together and sharing because they're like a, a alumni. They're like a little tribe that they, people don't know each other, but they've got this shared experience of, of being at a location or, or doing some experience. Um, so that that's really interesting. And now as a as a as a process, I'm just involved with some some great organisations. For the last five years, I've been involved with uh, Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels, and this was a at the time, it was seen as software to be able to put put together web pages. It was seen as a way to be able to understand a different way of marketing, which is this funnel. Um, probably the easiest way to express that is is a funnel is if you go into McDonald's and you ask for a burger, and do, do they you know, they say do you want upsell? You know, do you want do you want fries with that? Do you want a um, Coke? So what they're doing is coming in as a um, as a lead magnet um, could be you know for a, um, a great cheeseburger uh, and then they upsell so they, they they give you a greater experience but you've also spent more money so that's basically a funnel but there's different types of funnels now but it's become much much more sophisticated and certainly with, with Russell. ClickFunnels, his business has changed now into more marketing, marketing concepts and ideas behind the funnels, ideas behind old-fashioned web pages and the way that people look to be able to offer solutions for people. And it's been fantastic. This is a company that, you know, Russell has over $100 million of sales a year. You know, it's a billion-dollar company that he's been able to, to, to create over 10 years. 10 years ago, he was, he was flat broke, and now he's got $100 billion, uh, um, a billion dollar company that he, he's created from, from from nothing. He's had some partners come in uh, and help him build it, but um, he, it's been his drive and his passion to make it make it happen. But that changes over that time to be able to offer solutions for people. Um, to me, it's been fantastic, and a whole bunch of stories on uh, Stu M uh, McLaren and his concept of tribe, um, which is a, a membership groups. Um, about summits, um, about um, product launching, whole range of scripts and videos and whole whole range of things. And this is all in a bundle now that, that I'm looking to be able to share with those and I've got a, a whole resource page to be able to share with people on, on on these different programs and a whole range of free free things which I've been able to um, put put together as well. And we'll go over those as you know in different weeks as we as we roll through to be able to Share these ideas so, you, so there's something tangible, something that you can come together so you can make a change in your business, you can make a change in your organisation or community and it flows from where you want to go in your life and make that change change with you. So here's some things to be able to make, make, that, make, make that happen. And it all goes back to those core attributes, those core things that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So it's about caring about those, comparing about caring that you've got a solution for them, then they'll listen. But if you're just trying to sell something, they just think you're just another dodgy salesman trying to trying to sell them something. The second one, you, you cannot predict the future, but you can create it. That you're going to go out and make things happen. You, you can't just say things will be right tomorrow or things will be bad tomorrow. You have to make it happen. 
There's just there's not some magic spark we're going to come come out of the sky to to make things change. You have to make a change. You have to get some knowledge. You have to get some experience. You have to get some bring um, people together to to help you to, to to be able to make that change. And it's if it is to be, it's up to me that you have to make it. Again, it's it's just not. It's just not waiting for it to, to happen. It all comes down to you, where you want to go in your life, where you want to go in your business for the, for that life, where you want to go in that, that organisation. It's about hope selling, not creation selling, not just sitting back and hoping people are going to come in, not just sit, sitting back and hoping that, that people are going to buy off you. It's about understanding, going out there and making happy, create that sale. And that sale will happen because you understand the person looking to buy. You understand what problems they have. And you understand that you have a solution and you can market it to them so they understand that, that you have a solution and they trust that that solution will be will be good for them, but also good for their friends. So that's just a brief overview of, of me, Tony Park, down in Tasmania. Um, again, I've been in business 45 years. So I've been... Married for 38 years now, two, two kids, one's a, one's a doctor and one's a, one's a teacher. Um, and really that's the greatest success I've had in my life. I've been able to help so many people all around the world, millions of people all around the world. It all hasn't been success. I've had some, some challenges. I've had some real problems along the way. And those I'll share as well because I think they're very important. Uh, that there's so many gurus come out and they, they've got all this knowledge, but they've never done anything with it. But but also all the knowledge seems to be success. Even when you talk to Russell, you know, some of the dark times he's, he's had has been a, been a challenge. When you talk to other people, that, that it's, not all, it's not all beer and Skittles. It's not all easy. That there are times when you, when you have to re-look at yourself, you have to review yourself to be able to get that understanding. When you're... Um, that understanding of where you want to go in your life. And you may have to review that. It's like me wanting to be a cocky and found that, well, I didn't have the knowledge and experience and the family didn't want to go there anyway. So so that's okay. You have to make some changes. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about helping you make those changes in your life, making you make those changes in your business and, and, and um, community. So you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. Uh, you can learn from them, but hopefully – um, be able to make those positive things in uh, in your life. So I, I hope this has given you an, an overview of um, of me, Tony Park, down here in sunny Tasmania. And yes, we do have the Tasmanian devil. He does live down here. He doesn't spin, uh, and they're going through a, a rough patch at the minute. But um, but we're helping them over, overcome that as well. But I hope you've got something from it, and we'll see you. As we as we go through this whole journey on on these and share these new ideas, but also some old ideas to be able to make those changes. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.